Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and this is another one of my Think on Your Feet episodes. Fans of the podcast will know that this is where I play live. I settle in with a new investigator and we try and go through a campaign and normally try and do a couple of scenarios per recording. So they're slightly longer episodes, but hopefully they're worthwhile. I read out everything I can, really. Uh, that's in the game. I don't normally read out the sort of setup instructions or or the kind of flavor, the campaign flavor, campaign text. I don't don't read that, but everything else I read. And I also try and talk you through my thought process. I suppose that's the more important part. What am I doing? How am I doing it? Why am I doing it? You know, all of those kind of questions. So we're ready to begin. Patrons of the cast voted for Norman as the next investigator I play. So I'm playing Norman and you can see his deck in the description. But before you go and look at it, stay tuned, because there's a couple of things that happen later in this episode that might be worth bearing in mind. But also, we're playing The Circle Undone, which means we've got a prologue to play first. So sit back, relax, turn the volume up, and let's dive into this prologue. Disappearance at the Twilight Estate. Sunday, November 22nd, 1925. Arkham, Massachusetts. Though All Hallows' Eve is nearly a month past, a grim melancholy lingers throughout the town. Each morning, a thick fog permeates the streets. Nights are beginning to grow longer, and if you ask around town, you'll hear people swear that it's getting darker too. But despite the gloomy mood, progress continues in the sleepy town of Arkham. The election of Nathaniel Rhodes to the United States Senate has upstanding members of the community feeling optimistic about the town's future. And tonight, at his well-appointed estate in French Hill, a man named Joseph Meiger hosts the Silver Twilight Lodge's Charity Gala, an annual members-only event that will turn deadly for several attendees. Yeah, that's right, we're playing the prologue. I'm not going to read the intro that I've planned to do, which is Penny's intro. But I will tell you what's happened. She's the housekeeper. She looks after the Miger estate and she's gone for a cigarette out on the balcony. For her setup, I begin playing the balcony. I search to gather cards for a copy of Wraith and a copy of Whispers in the Dark. The Wraith is engaged with me and Whispers in Dark is in play. And Whispers in Dark will go at the end of the round and it basically reads that there's an extra haunted effect, which is Take a Horror, which is a bit nasty. In addition, I only start play with two resources instead of five, but I do have a knife, a flashlight, and dig deep in my play area. The flashlight has two charges on it. My opening hand is Stray Cat, Lucky, Knife, Flashlight, two copies of Able Bodied, and two copies of Act of Desperation. So, some options there. Penny snaps a four willpower, one intellect, three combat, and two agility. She has a reaction after you succeed at a skill test during a revelation effect, discover one clue at your location, and an elder sign effect of plus one. If this is a skill test during a revelation effect, you may take an additional action during your turn. Seven health, five sanity. Penny White is the Migra Estate's head housekeeper. She's been working in the Migra Estate for several years. Though she's only spoken with Joseph a few times, his overly fastidious nature has kept her quite busy. Tonight, she is tasked with keeping the manor spotless, the food hot, and the hooch flowing. Good old Penny. Let's read our act and agenda, and then let's talk about what our plan is. Agenda 1A. Judgment. 20. There is no escaping fate. 
hear the call and be reborn. Forced, after doom is placed on any card, each investigator must either take one damage or one horror, two damage or two horror instead if there's five or more doom in play. Second forced, when any investigator is defeated, that investigator must advance this agenda. Do not remove any doom from this agenda when it advances. Act 1A. The Disappearance. Something terrible has invaded the home of Josef Meiger. In the moments that follow, you scramble to survive. Forced, when an investigator is eliminated, place each of that investigator's clues on this act instead of his or her location. Objective, discover as many clues as you can before your inevitable demise. Skulls are minus three. If you fail and this is an attack or evasion attempt, resolve each haunted ability on your location. And the balcony reads, a shattered glass door leads onto the balcony outside the estate's master bedroom. It's one shroud, one clue, haunted effect, each of your cards with health takes one direct damage. Clouds of dark mist loom above French Hill, spectral shapes around the balcony, moaning and writhing in torment. And this wraith is a 2-2-2, a hunter. When it's defeated by damage except from a spell or relic, instead of discarding it, attach it to its location, and the attached location gains haunted, spawn the wraith, and it hits for two horror, which is nasty. Okay, big picture plan. If we can survive until seven doom, we can have Penny on our side if we can get her in union and disillusion. However, surviving to seven doom is going to be tough, and with that one intellect, getting clues is going to be really tricky for Penny. So I think we just see how we get on, and we try and get defeated not by monsters or by the Watcher. And the Watcher, by the way, is a 353 alert hunter, and it has a forced effect that when it's defeated, instead of discarding it, heal all damage from it, disengage from all, it's from all investigators and exhaust it. It does not ready during the upkeep phase this round. So it's going to be hunting us, and it's pretty hard to kill. Okay, my thinking is I throw the knife at the wraith, that kills it. I use flashlight to try and get a clue here, and I move. So should we give that a go? Throwing the knife would make me a five on two. First test. Minus one. The wraith is stabbed and attaches to the location. Second action, I'll spend a flashlight charge. That makes me a one on zero. Minus two, clue. And third action, I'll move. The reason I want to move away from here is that if something forces me to trigger the haunted effects here, I get the wraith back on me and things get nasty. So I'll head into the master bedroom. This unmarked door is old and partially rotted, set in a quiet corner of the upstairs hallway. A thick, dark fog seeps beneath the door and wafts around your feet. It's three shroud and one clue. Its haunted effect is that you drop a clue. Tendrils of black mist have invaded every corner of this room from the open balcony doorway, causing the furniture to decay and collapse. Every piece of wood and glass is shattered and warped. Nothing is untouched. In the enemy phase, the Spectral Watcher hunts up to the Victorian halls. It's one location away from me. I don't draw a card. I do get a resource. I'm up to three. And we place a doom, and I'm going to take a damage for that doom. So I'm now 6-5 remaining. Our first encounter card, here we go. It is Realm of Torment. Put Realm of Torment into play in your threat area. When your turn begins, resolve each haunted ability on your location. And the forced effect, 
uh, second forced effect, when your turn ends, test willpower three if you succeed discard realm of tour. Is that succeeding at a skill test during a revelation effect? No, it's a forced effect. Okay, well that's pretty annoying because that means we're ditching our clue here at the start of the turn. The good thing is, if we had stayed where we were, we would have the wraith on us and take a damage from the balcony. So that's not the end of the world, but we drop a clue. I'm tempted to put a knife down and take resources here. And I can maybe use some of the resources to help me pass Realm of Torment to get rid of it and just soak the hit from the Watcher and then plan to evade it and run away. The other option is I move to the Watcher, evade and move on and I try and clear Realm of Torment somewhere else. Those are my two options. The challenge here is with a three shroud location, if I use my flashlight, I'm a one-on-one -on -one getting clues here. I'm tempted to say we leave that for later on. How would I evade the Watcher? I would move, I would commit able-bodied. I have one or fewer item assets, so that would make me a four on three. It's still not good odds. Maybe I do stay put here. So first action, I'll play a knife. Second and third actions, I'll take two coins. And at the end of my turn, I have to test willpower three. So I'm a four on three. I think I do, I don't care too much about getting rid of it now. So I just go for it, four on three. I have no clues to drop. Minus two, fail. I could play lucky for that. I think I save it. In the enemy phase, the watcher comes and hits me for a damage and horror. The reason I'm letting it come and hit me is I'm hoping to evade it and then sprint away and it gives me a bit of time. I mean, it's somewhat of a risk because the watcher's gaze means that it could just come and find me wherever I am. But that's what I've chosen to do. And I go up to five resources and we hit two doom, which means I'll take another damage. I've got four damage and four horror left. Surviving long enough is going to be tricky. My encounter card is Terrors in the Night. Revelation test willpower four. If you fail, put Terror in the Night into play next to the agenda deck. If you fail by three or more, it gains Surge. And if there are three copies next to the agenda deck, we will take three horror. Well, this is a revelation, and this could get me a clue here. How many resources do I want to put in? If I put two in, I'm two up. Feels quite nice. Gives me an option with Lucky. So I'm six on four. Zero. I've just succeeded at a skill test and a revelation effect, so I discover a clue. <laughs> it doesn't matter, because I'm going to drop it with Realm of Torment when my turn begins. That was a bit short-sighted of me. Oh well. Dropped it gets. So two clues back here. It's too enthusiastic on my part. Right, let's try and evade the Spectral Watcher. I'll commit an able-bodied. I've played the knife. Ah, oh, what a ninny. I put the knife down, which means able-bodied is now only giving me... Uh, one icon rather than... Uh, it's giving me two icons rather than three. Two is two is still good. So that makes me one up. And I'll commit one with Dig Deep to be two up. Plus one. Evaded. Do I now try and flashlight and get a clue here and then head on? Or head on twice? I may still have Realm of Torment with me next turn. So if I were to head to the Victorian Halls, the Haunted Effect there is lose an action. If I were to head straight on to the Trophy Room, the Haunted Effect there I think is lose resources or take horror. Potentially, I'm on two resources, so that's not the end of the world, but it might be a bit horrific for playing another flashlight and so on. Given that the Haunted Effect here is not too bad, 
I'm going to flashlight one on one, and let's see if we get something. We'll just we'll just try and fluke a clue, and then we'll move. Skull minus three. Nothing bad happens. Lucky wouldn't get me the clue. The haunted effect is place a clue I don't have any to place. And last action, a move to Victorian halls. The warm rays that once illuminated these halls have faded into beams of cold, grey moonlight that shine through floating motes of dust and wisps of dark mist. Haunted effect here is lose an action. A haunting stillness lingers through the frigid dead halls. The many paintings that adore the walls have faded and become unrecognisable, and the metal statuettes flanking the corridors have completely rusted over. It's full shroud and no clues. And that's the end of my turn. I've got to test Realm of Torment. I don't think I put anything into it. Four on three. Zero. Pass. Okay, that's amazing, because as I was drawing that token, I was thinking, hang on. Don't I really want to get rid of that? Enemy phase, nothing happens. Upkeep, the Spectral Watcher readies, and I get a resource. Mythos, we go to three Doom, and I'll take a Horror. So I've got four and three left. And our encounter card is another copy of Terror in the Night. Well, I don't mind too much just going four on four. Can't grab a clue here because there aren't any. Minus two, so I fail and it goes into play, but I don't fail by three. Great. I have three actions. How do I proceed? First action, I head into the trophy room. Flanking this door are two rotting deer heads mounted on the wall. They stare at you with hollow, dead eyes. It's two shroud and a clue. The haunted effect is lose two resources, and for each resource you cannot lose, take a horror. Rotting animal heads adorn this room's wood-panelled walls, once a display of power and sovereignty, now macabre displays of death and decay. You cannot help but feel their empty eyes drill through you as you explore the room. And I have two actions left. I quite like the idea of active desperationing the empty flashlight I have to get the resources off it, but there's nothing to active desperation it into. So I think I play my second copy of Flashlight for two, and last action I investigate, one on zero, using a flashlight charge. Tentacle. Ooh. So I fail, and I have to lose two resources. I've only got one resource to lose, which means I take a horror. Oh, what a good time, Tentacle. That is horrible. Enemy phase, Spectral Watcher hunts. Upkeep, I get a resource. Mythos, we go to four doom. I need to take a damage or a horror. I've got two horror left and four damage left. So I'll take a damage, leaving me with three, two. And we draw a card. It's a spectral hound. Of course it is, just after I'd thrown away the flashlight that I wanted to attack with. Damn. Well, I can make fairly short work of this. A stab with the knife, followed by a thrown knife, and then try and get a clue. I'll then get hit by the watcher, but I can still soak the hits, just about. It'll take me to 3-4. I mean, at this rate, I'll have no clues. So maybe it's worth evading, investigating, moving. Let's try that. I'm a 2-on-1 evading. If I commit this able-bodied, it gives me a plus 2. That makes me a 4-on-1. I like that. 0. Pass. I'll investigate with the flashlight. 1-on-0. Minus 1. Clue and I'll move into the billiards room. 
From outside this room, you can hear the creaking of old wood and the patter of soft footsteps along the ground. Sounds lovely. It's three shroud and a clue. And it says here you must either discard an asset you control or take a damage as a haunted effect. The game room's warmth and laughter have been replaced with a sense of quiet dread. Tendrils of black mist slither from underneath the collapsed billiard table, twisting and swaying along the floor in a formless dance. Ugh. Well, I still have a lucky in hand, along with a stray cat and two acts of desperation. So there's a potential here for grabbing a clue. But things are about to really heat up, I think. In the enemy phase, the Spectral Watcher is one location behind me. And in upkeep, the Shadowhound wakes. I go up to two resources. We place a Doom, and that means we're at five Dooms. So we have to take two damage or two horror. Well, two horror would drive me insane. So I'll take the two damage, and I'm at six damage and three horror. So one, two left. My encounter card is Realm of Torment. Ugh, this again. When my turn begins, I have to resolve the haunted ability on my location. And when my turn ends, I test willpower three. And if I succeed, I discard it. So when my turn begins, I have to either discard an asset I control or take a damage. I have the knife, a flashlight with one charge and dig deep. Now, here's what I'm thinking. I believe that being eliminated by enemies like the Shadowhound or by the Spectral Watcher is bad news. So if I can die another way, that's better than anything else. So what I'm thinking is, I lose Dig Deep or the knife now. I investigate with my flashlight charge, one-on-one, and try and use my lucky to get the clue. And then I investigate again, failing, and take a damage which would eliminate me. And that would mean I'd been eliminated not by the Shadow Hound or the Spectral Watcher. I'm definitely going to be eliminated next time Doom is placed because I have to take two damage or two horror and I've only got one two left. Even if I were to play the stray cat, that would just give me one more damage soak, which isn't enough. So I think that's what I do. I lose the dig deep to the realm of torment. First action I investigate. I am a one on one. I have nothing I can commit. It's a minus one, which means I'm about to fail, but I pay one with lucky and grab the clue. Second action I investigate, I'm a one on three. Minus four, hello, and that means I take a damage and that defeats me. If I had two actions left, I could have moved back, dealt with one of the two enemies, but not the other. Yeah, that makes sense. So when I'm defeated, I place my clues on the act. I've got two in the end. I did collect four in total but I dropped two one one I grabbed from the balcony which I dropped in the master bedroom and then I grabbed another in the master bedroom which I dropped again to realm of torment so there we go in the missing pe- person section of the campaign log next to your character's profile make a record of that character's fate as follows then flip this agenda back over so you can be taken by the spectral watcher you can be claimed by spectres You can disappear into the mist if there's seven or more doom in play, or we were at five doom. And if you're defeated by any other effect, you record that you're pulled into the spectral realm. So that's what we're going to do. And that is the prologue over. Only two clues, so only two pieces of evidence. But Penny did a pretty good job there. I like playing as Penny. She feels very survivory, and I think that one intellect is a real challenge. But she kind of shakes up how, how you think about what you're doing, and she really 
She's quite durable in a weird way. It's a shame not to have used either of my active desperations, but I find in solo, normally I'm just trying to dash for clues. It's more in multiplayer that I use them. Okay, well, stay tuned. We've got another scenario not coming up right now, but something else instead. So yeah, keep listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hi again, it's me, it's Frank, and now I'm actually joined on the line by a special guest. Today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. This is your Think on Your Feet premiere, isn't it? Your first uh, first appearance on Think on Your Feet, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Welcome so, along. It's exciting, yeah. And you've brought me on just to explain things to me from what I can understand. Yeah, so, well, I'll, I'll explain to listeners what's going on now. Normally, on a Think on Your Feet episode, I do two scenarios, but because we've just played the prologue, I thought that what I would do now is just talk about the actual proper deck that we're going to be playing through the Circle Undone, which is a Norman Withers deck. Thank you to all the patrons who voted for which investigator they wanted. There was quite a lot of votes for Norman, so that's really good. And in the past, I've maybe talked about decks as I go, but not really gone into detail about the design process of a deck or how I've approached building it and so rather than me just talking at you for half an hour with no one else I've invited on my deck building associate critic uh, conciliary Peter to talk to me about this deck and you've basically just given me a list of questions and an instruction to sit down and shut up while you talk to me right (laughs) exactly exactly no what I really want to do is then talk I think a bit bigger picture about Norman solo and the the challenges that that comes with that or the advantages there and the deck list that you're looking at probably won't be the final one that that you listener will hear because we might make some changes now I was about to say yeah how how fixed are you to this this terrible deck that you sent me (laughs) not fixed at all and in fact this is something I really like doing with decks I designed this deck uh three or four months ago I would say and I had some conversations with you at the time when I designed it. But what I quite like to do sometimes is throw in some cards and have some thoughts, you know. And at the time of designing, I'm thinking, this is going to be great. These will all work really well together. I really love this combination. And then come back to the deck at a later point with a bit of objectivity and a bit of time and think, does any of this make sense? Yeah. You know, why have I done this? Why did I do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and think some of it, some of them, are, you know, a couple of cards will come to. I can't even remember why I put them in. Okay. <laughs> so that makes me think, okay, maybe whatever amazing plan I had for them, I've, I've kind of lost track of. So Norman is four willpower, five intellect, two combat and one agility. He has six health and eight sanity. And he plays with the top card of his deck, Revealed. And why this is important is because once per round, you can play the top card of your deck as if it were in your hand at minus one resource cost. So not very good for skills, but really nice for setting up assets and also for playing events where you get them at a discount. So some that I really like, I really love being able to play Mind Over Matter for free. I really like playing No Stone Unturned for one and searching six cards in my deck because that also changes what's on the top of the deck yes i was about to say so there's some cards that uh like say mr rook mm-hmm. or old book of law 
not that you've got that in this deck, but they are sort of have that extra bit of utility in Norman, where they they let you do some filtering of what's on the top of his deck, so you get another, a second bite of the cherry in terms of what's there. And his Elder Sign effect is plus X, where you can swap a card in your hand with the top card of your deck, and the the X amount you get is whatever the resource cost is of the top card of your deck. So you can do quite cheeky things where if you're able to swap a four-cost card like Dr. Milan or St. Hubert's Key onto the top of your deck, you then get a plus four to your test, which is really nice. But you can also do nice things where if there's a card you want to play at a discount, if you pull an Elder Sign, you put it on the top of your deck, and then as long as you have actions left in the turn, you can then get the discount for it, which is nice. In in terms of just straight-up efficiency, mm. Norman, it's, it's quite a powerful ability right it's almost like a free draw and a free resource every turn mm-hmm. so you're really trying to when you're building the deck you've got in the back of your mind you want to use that ability as much as possible right mm-hmm. yeah yeah that was and the end of my thought sorry yeah sorry. No, and that's thought. a very good thought because then i suppose when we start talking about this list we can see what maybe doesn't play into that as much as I originally planned. There's one other thing we should talk about. Norman's deck building. He has a deck size of 30. He can take Seeker cards only level 0, and then Mystic cards level 1 to 5. So he's Seeker at level 0, but Mystic at higher levels. Mm -hmm. Neutral, 0 to 5. And then at level 0, he's also allowed 5 Mystic cards. So one of the other challenges there is what do you put as his 5 level 0 cards, Mystic cards, and we've talked about this before, you know, do you put in a couple of shriveling, uh, a couple of wards of protection, and then plan to upgrade them, at which point you're then level zero card, that those five off-class cards are basically removed from the deck? Or do you put in things that you're not going to upgrade, and you make use of the level zero mystic pool for that? So in this deck, I've put in one Delve Too Deep, two Premonition, and two Enraptured. This this calculation of what you put in is complicated by this being a solo deck. Yes. Because in multiplayer, I could easily say, well, don't put shriveling in, you know, <laughs> get that once you've you've leveled up. You've got the rest of the team to soak up the damage or the, the fighting requirements for the first <laughs> couple of games. Yeah. Don't have that luxury here. No luxury here, yeah. One option is that I run one shriveling. And I just plan to spend 4 XP to upgrade it, 3 to bring it to the upgraded version, and 1 to put in something else at level 0 if I want to, mm-hmm. which is a possibility. What I do have for combat here is a cult lexicon, 2 I've got a plan, and I'm running 2 copies of Knife. The reason I'm running 2 copies of Knife is thanks to Brian Sandberg, who Brian is a community member, writes on the Right of Seeking blog, and wrote a very good... Uh, it did a very good video, actually, about the usefulness of knife in Norman throwing the knife at the Vengeful Hound. Because the oh, Vengeful yeah. Hound is two fight and two health. And Norman throwing a knife is throwing at four. Yep. Which is two up for killing a Vengeful Hound, which is pretty reasonable. And if I've played the knife off the top of my deck, I've played it for free. So that's an option. And that would probably, the knife I'd probably upgrade into Shrivelings early on. So in terms of damage, I've got I've got some damage cards there. I've also got two Mind Over Matter, which is kind of my go-to Norman card for, you know, in two punches you can probably kill the Hound as well with Mind Over Matter. It's a really useful card to have 
just sitting in your hand ready to protect you from more or less any enemy. Yeah, what? where do you fall with the shriveling or no shriveling at level zero? It's, it's a tough one. So my experience, I've got much less experience with Norman than you have. And my experience was as a seeker, or well, as not as a primary fighter in a party. It was actually more of a jack of all trades, really. Um, mm. I was doing a covering a mystic role, I guess, starting off with more investigation, moving into a more flexible mystic role. Mm-hmm. And I think my preference was to go with some some other kind of enemy management cards first. So I think. Did, did I even go for the mists? I can't remember, mm. to be honest. I would come down on the side of probably not putting in a level zero shriveling. Mm. And just, you've got occult lexicon, you've got knives, and you've got you've got mind over matter, and you've got, I've got a plan. Mm-hmm. So I think you've got enough tools there to deal with the crucial enemies you might need to deal with in the couple, first couple of scenarios, mm-hmm. if you're careful. I'm also banking on the fact that the first scenario in the Circle Undone has the witches, one goat spawn, and a net, and that's it. So with a bit of planning, I should get through that uh, with this much damage. It might be really... It might not be... The, you know, I might draw my basic weakness and find that I've got another enemy, and then I'm starting to feel a little bit panicked. I wonder if a, a level zero mist is actually really useful here, because it might I might not be rushing to get the high XP mists, but it would trigger well with enraptured, and it would be a kind of safety blanket potentially. Yeah, possibly yes. I'm very fond of premonition. I like enraptured because it adds secrets to Mister Rook, and also will add charges to spells later on. But potentially, I could drop the enraptured if I need to. I'm also I quite like the idea of a cheeky delve too deep because getting XP for Norman is so important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's always harder in solo anyway. It's harder in solo. So if I think a scenario is going south, I can delve and at least get an extra XP out of it. That could be the difference between getting two shrivelings in a scenario or only getting one or adding in other higher XP cards. You've also gone for Hawkeye Folding Camera, mm-hmm. which to me is the discounts St. Husband's Key. Yeah. And I think not a bad call at all solo. I, there's something to be said for taking that as a as a Norman card, as one of your level zero mystic cards, because mm-hmm. he gets hit for three cost. Yeah. Potentially. It's a card you really want to see on the top of your deck. Mm, yeah, 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 definitely. But those two stats for him are just so, so sweet. They're the prime stats, yeah. So the Hawkeye Folding Camera, you, you're solo, so you're probably going to be at the, the locations where you're finding all the clues. It's not like someone else is sucking up clues in a different place, is it? Precisely, yeah, yeah. And it can, it can get powered up pretty quickly, I would say. You know, you can play it, get one clue, maybe on the following turn you're up to willpower and intellect, which is really nice. And I found, actually, he's only got eight sanity, and if he's shriveling busily and taking horror, uh, St. Hubert's Key, sometimes I've, I've ended up having it explode, and disappear. And so I actually quite like the idea of taking up to nine sanity with the the camera if I can make that happen. Yeah. The challenge here is that my hands are a little bit contested early on with two cameras, two knives, and an occult lexicon. So I would plan probably to get those knives into shrivelings by scenario two or three, and then there's less pressure on my hands. Yeah. It's like the idea of, of Norman throwing a knife at a dog and then yeah. taking a picture of it saying, look, look what I did. 
<laughs> Can I pick out some cards in particular that you've put in and ask you to explain yourself? Yes, I'd like you to do that. You've put in Ghastly Revelation. Mm-hmm. Was there some particular thinking behind that? Yes, I'll tell you my thinking. This is very TCU specific. Okay. So in The Witching Hour, when you get to the Witch's Circle, there are three clues there. It's Shroud 4, and there's also a net there. There's a possibility that the scenario's gone badly for me. I don't have an I've got a plan ready to one-shot a net or any way of evading her. Maybe I'm even just think I can't get the clues because I can't take hits from her. And I could, at that point, play Ghastly Revelation, get all three clues from the location, move them all off the location so I still get the VP, and I would be defeated and I would take a mental trauma, which is my stronger stat rather than a physical trauma. So Ghastly Revelation is really just tech for Witching Hour. And I think after that, I would that would be one of the first cards that comes out of the deck and upgrades into something higher level mystic. Okay. Does that make sense or is that way too specific for a first scenario? Uh, I think it depends on whether you've put a card in which says, if I don't have another way of getting past this location when I get to it, I'm just going to accept that I'm defeated. But at Mm -hmm. least I get the victory point. Yeah. And at least I take a mental trauma rather than anything else. That's your thinking, right? Is there not another card you could put in, which instead of making up for not being able to do it, would help you do it? Good question. I mean, this is definitely a plan B. Yes. And it's a sort of one card plan B. The plan A is to have an I've got a plan and enough clues in hand that I step in and I murk a net. Yes. Or to have a you know a working a hunch ready and to have not taken enough damage that I just step in and I just investigate and take the clues and take the hits. That's you know, or maybe I have a mind of matter ready and I evade her, get a couple of clues, something along those lines. Those would definitely be the first plan. I did actually wonder opening this deck again whether deduction would be nice. Well I was just thinking that because that's two clues of the three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm running one working a hunch, which is nice, pay one and get a clue fast. But I could take the working a hunch out as well and just run two deduction. Yeah. That means I investigated a six. It does take my skill count up to six, which is not ideal for, for Norman. Isn't it only five if you're swapping? You've only got one ghastly revelation. Oh, I, I could just take one deduction, yeah. Or I could take a deduction and a working a hunch for, for working a hunch as well. Right, okay, yes. Yeah, true, true. I was thinking specifically to replace ghastly revelation. Like you say, it, yeah. it, it yeah, feels yeah. like it's a... I get you can upgrade it after this first scenario. Mm, just feels yeah. like if you're what's what's the phrase? Failure to plan, planning to fail. Planning to fail. Than... Yeah, it's yeah. failure to plan is planning to fail is the phrase. But you haven't done that. You've just planned to fail. You've skipped the failure to plan and gone straight to planning for failure. I don't think the delta between what you get with uh, ghastly revelation and what you would have got just by failing by getting slapped about by a net. I don't think that's mm. that's great. There's not a huge gap there. Yeah, I suppose because I suppose the trade is one XP and a mental or one physical, and one physical trauma is potentially ghastly for Norman. True. Because he's got so low health. That that was the thinking. It's it's definitely one that I wondered about when I reopened the deck, so your comments are, are I'm taking them very seriously. The <laughs> Thank you. Other thing As I always. noticed looking at this deck is that this deck doesn't have Astounding Revelation in it, and it does have Mr. Rook. 
And I'd noticed that I've put two laboratory assistant in and I can't for the life of me think why. <laughs> I think maybe just I wanted even more draw. I've definitely run laboratory assistant in Norman before. Yeah. It's quite a nice card that you can pay one. If you play it off the top of your deck, you get a little bit of health and sanity soak. And it's it's then another couple of cards. It just keeps your deck going. And I wonder if I cut both of them and maybe find something else to cut. I could put three Astounding Revelation in, which is just wonderful with Rook for keeping him charged. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Or just money. And just money, yeah. So I'd need to find one other card to cut to get all three Astounding Revelation in. I do like with Astounding Revelation, you can trigger a search for Rook as soon as you see it on the top of your deck and you know you're going to mm-hmm. find it. Mm. I think that's nice because you don't... Just because it's on the top of the deck, you don't have to draw it. Yeah, yeah, that's really nice. See, it's, it's it's essentially it's a free rook search, right? You see it on yeah. top of your deck, free rook, and then get a fresh card and then play it. Yeah, yeah. So I think that is good. So yeah, so I think that change I'll make. The other then thought I had, which I'd be interested, this might be where you wanted to go next, is I have knowledge is power in here, yeah, and I have enraptured in here, and I, the plan with knowledge is power is to use them for shriveling charges or mists charges if i go with mists Mm -hmm. later on but obviously in the level zero deck they don't do anything they're just icons and at the moment enraptured adds secrets to mr rook but then later on it it becomes essentially a poor man's knowledge is power so yeah i wonder if something needs to change there potentially around cutting the enraptured what particularly if i'm putting deduction in if we're talking about cards yeah you know what is a real shame that you haven't got in here, which is a card that's come out quite recently? Mm, what is it? Ethereal Form. Oh, I like that card. Yeah. I mean, you've only got, what, has he got Evade 1, hasn't he? So you're yeah. only evading at 5, unless you've got also got your camera charged up, at which point you're 6. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's not bad. 6 is good, yeah. It, for that exact situation you've described, you move into that final location, uh, and Annette's there. Suddenly, boom, mm-hmm. mist form, baby. And then I'm running deduction, so then I go, whoop, scoop the clues. Exactly, yeah. Oh, I like that. And I think it, it, it just in solo Norman, we talked about on our cast when we did the first look how blinding light was like a combination damage and evade. Mm-hmm. Ethereal form is like a super evade. And for a character yeah. who wants to slip past, just think it's a really good call. That is a really good call, yeah. So this, to me... For listeners listening along, this sounds like I'm cutting two Laboratory Assistant, a Ghastly Revelation, and two Enraptured, and maybe putting in three Astounding Revelation. Oh, there's Astounding Revelation and Ghastly Revelation. Is that... Are they both called Astounding? (laughs) Yeah, it is, yeah. Two Ethereal Form, and I need to maybe find space for deduction, if I want deduction. Yeah. And my thinking is I maybe lose the working a hunch and maybe the no stone unturned goes down to a one-off if I'm using Rook and charging up Rook with secrets. The no stone unturned loses its potency. Possibly, yes. Is there anything else at the level zero really jumping out to you? Or can we move to talking about XP? I guess the the old uh, dilemma is crack the case, which Mm -hmm. is... Burst economy you can only use once you've got all the clues off a location and is mm-hmm. dependent on the shroud of the location. So I don't know whether yeah. you're... What, okay, here's a question then. What's the, what are the shrouds like on those woods locations? The, 
they're obviously done at random, so I get five of the seven. Mm-hmm. There, I think they're mostly two, but then I think there are two, three, and two, four. Okay. I think so. Chances are you get at least a three and a four. I suppose if you're adding the astounding revelation as well, that's potentially additional yeah. economy you've got in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like that quite a lot actually. Then because then. Depending on the location I'm in, I maybe use Rook to fetch Crack the Case if I know I'm about to clear a decent Shroud location. I feel like if I use Crack the Case for even a Shroud 3 location, that's okay. It's just nice to be a bit cheeky and do a Shroud 4. You're really going to need the trick ready for when that Goat Spawn appears. Yes. If you pass the Willpower 3 test, it's exhausted. Yes, so you can move away from it. My plan is to immediately... That's my trick. like a tree. My, my plan is not to yeah. fail in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> and if failing that, I need either ethereal form or mind over matter ready, or maybe I've got a plan. Yeah, they've got four health, Just have they? Merc it. Three health. Oh, they've only got three health. Okay, that's not yeah, too bad. Yeah, three, three, two. Yeah. Okay, well, let's hit me, hit me with some XP thoughts then. Yeah. Well, shriveling three, we've talked about. Yes. For both of them. Then there's the possibility for cancellation if I wanted it. And one option would be stargazing. I, I think that's nice in Norman, actually. I was just thinking about this. It's got a m- more limited window of usefulness, hasn't it, in Solo? Because you draw mm-hmm. fewer encounter cards, so you'd want to see yeah. it earlier in the game. But I think at 1 XP, and does it cost 1 to play? Uh, it costs 0, so you don't uh, get the discount. They don't even get the discount. The, the other option would be actually to save for Ward of Protection 5. Yeah. Because that's just, you can discard enemies with it, and that's the real Achilles heel for Norman. Yeah. It's a possibility. But Ward of Protection 2 is is useless. It's the, <laughs> the, In Solo, it's the same as Ward of Protection 0. Yes, but what you so could do is add those, as because you're not wasting any experience, are you? Well, I could add, add Ward of Protection 0. No, no, you could add Ward of Protection level 2. So it doesn't use up a level zero slot, and you yes. haven't wasted yeah, yeah, yeah. the experience on your way to ward, ward five. Yeah, going into a scenario true. with two XP spare, yeah, waiting to put in ward of protection five, you might as well put in ward two. Yeah, that's true. That's true. If I'm going that way, absolutely. I am wondering slightly about six cents four, just for when things get harder at higher hardest scenarios, having an option to investigate with willpower might not be dreadful and having an option to get two clues in one go because this is one of the challenges with norman at any player count is as he upgrades he doesn't actually get things like your deduction twos or deciphered realities to get lots of clues so if you want him to keep up as a clue getting investigator you need to add something that adds that but i'm not sure about six cents for it seems a shame when you've already got such a beefy intellect mm. to to, mm-hmm. to spend does, yeah. so much XP on something dedicated to clues. Now I can I can see the logic of going down the right of seeking path. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes and no. Right of seeking two, investigate at six, get two clues per per thing. It's a quite nice uh, upgrade for deduction at that point. Yeah, the, it, or um, I always compare it to fingerprint kit. Mm. Yeah, and it, you know maybe that's more Norman's maybe the the this the investigator where there's the most of the toss up between the two. Yeah, yeah. Well, he he investigates at exactly the same stat, doesn't he? He's six willpower with right of seeking two, or six intellect with 
fingerprint kid. It's very, very tight, actually. Mists fall as another option for evasion. Uh, he evades at seven with Mists four because it gives you plus three willpower. And it comes with five yeah. charges. Gives more movement as well. Given that wouldn't go to Pathfinder, it's maybe useful. Yeah, and I think that, that's a good call as well. Is there anything new that's come out? Well, what, what was at the end of the previous cycle in terms of high? So deny, deny level five? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a very powerful card. Yes. Yeah. Is it something you want to look at here? Is it too narrow? It, use? it slightly depends on basic weakness. If I end up with amnesia or paranoia as a basic weakness, it becomes really useful. And it, deny existence is useful in Norman in the way that it's useful in any mystic, particularly for protecting health, because the health is lower. There's also um, Diana Esperance as a possible ally. She's a four-cost ally for three XP. You can attach a non-weakness spell event from your hand to Diana Esperance. And you can play it repeatedly. Yeah. So that could be, say, knowledge power. Yeah. <laughs> or air ward. Or yeah. ethereal form. Ethereal form, yeah. That seems quite good. There's some options there. So that would probably be 9 XP, 2 copies of Diana and 1 copy of Charisma to combine with that. And then the other card I'm eyeing up because I've not even used my accessory slot is Crystalline Elder Sign. Oh yeah, you love that. I do love that. In solo, sealed a plus one, and you get plus one willpower, plus one intellect, plus one combat, and plus one agility. The heady heights of two agility. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That, I mean, it doesn't seem terrible, actually. You're even at combat three, so, you know, you can yeah, punch a rat. Knives. Yeah, Yeah, you punch rats until you get to the bad rats. I, like, I definitely like the movements of mists. I've got to say, being able to evade and get a move out of it, there's... It's there's a lot to spend, you know. Fourteen XP would be two shriveling, two mists. That's before you've added Diana or Crystalline Elder Sign. Yeah, there's plenty to get. Makes me think keeping a delve is really worthwhile. Okay, well, this it's food for thought. And at this point, listener, if there's something leaping out to you that I really should have thought of, you know, send in a message. Say why haven't you thought of this or that? And that's a really good idea. That's um, we are only two men. We don't have a compendious knowledge of all cards in Arkham. <laughs> Ornate bow. That's what we have to do with that. <laughs> Two agility. You can then start ornate bow attacks. Yeah. That would be sweet. Yes. Don't take the ornate bow. <laughs> Maybe not, yeah. How are you going to hold your knife if you've got a bow? Oh, exactly. And my camera. Yeah. <laughs> and my occult lexicon. Yeah. Great. Uh, any more questions for me, Peter? No, no. I'm interested to see how this turns out. Mm. It always yeah. fascinates me when people take what is potentially quite a specialised investigator into mm, a solo yeah. game. I've got to say, I felt that way actually playing Mandy recently as well. Mandy's given me quite a lot of hope for Norman. Obviously, they're different investigators, but you know some of the things that are great about Mr. Rook and Mandy, like you can fetch a weakness when you want it, that's slightly diminished in potency when you're by yourself and still have to deal with the weakness yourself. And I was thinking, God, Mandy, she's like the search pro but is she actually going to be able to do everything and i've been pleasantly surprised so it's made me think i need to revisit seekers and play more i've been playing so much ursula solo that she can just do anything that it'd be nice to go back and yeah see what norman's like great right well i hope you've enjoyed the episode 
Tune in for the next thing on your feet, which will be The Witching Hour and At Death's Doorstep. You can reach us in all the normal places, Drawn to the Flame podcast at gmail.com, Drawn to the Flame on Twitter and Facebook, Drawn to the Flame on Patreon and Discord. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. What is the first scenario in TCU called? Lost in the Woods. Woods Party. Uh, uh, not Untamed Wilds. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Witching Hour. <laughs> well done.